Okay, Second uh, Thessalonians. Turn in your Bibles, please. Second Thessalonians, and I'll be reading chapter 2, verse 13 to the end of the chapter. But we should always give thanks to God for you, brethren, beloved by the Lord, because God has chosen you from the beginning for salvation through sanctification by the spirit and faith in the truth. It was for this he called you through our gospel that you may gain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. So then, brethren, stand firm and hold to the traditions which you were taught, whether by word of mouth or by letter from us. Now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, who has loved us and given us eternal comfort and good hope by grace, comfort and strengthen your hearts in every good work and word. Let me begin by painting a picture of the church that was in Thessalonica that Paul wrote this letter to. They were new believers. The church had only been in existence for about a year. So it's a church full of new believers. They were zealous for the Lord. They thought about the Lord all the time. Um, and they were exemplary uh, to other churches uh, in their region, to everyone who heard about them, and maybe especially in the way in which they endured persecution. They had to, uh, they experienced severe persecution right away, and they stood up to it, and they stood uh, firm. However, a sense of doubt began to creep in. We've got an enemy who seeks to promote doubt, sometimes in very subtle ways, uh, sometimes at the most unexpected uh, time. And so the Thess- these Thessalonians, these believers, began to think there was something wrong with their Christianity, with the way in which they were seeking to be uh, Christians. In fact, they began to doubt whether they were true Christians at all. Maybe God was still uh, angry with them. And then their imagination began uh, working overtime and uh, running wild. And they started looking around them at the events of their time and say, well, maybe... The day of the Lord, the seven-year period leading up to Christ's return. It's a chaotic time uh, on the earth that's prophesied. Maybe that day of the Lord has already begun. And if so, they, um, the way they understood the end times, it would indicate uh, that we're not saved. If we're still here because they uh, believe that the Lord would gather his church at the beginning of that seven-year period. And so if they're living through it, then they're under God's wrath and they're not saved. And so I think they began to imagine other happy Christians all over the world uh, being gathered to meet the Lord in the air, including Paul and Silas and Timothy, and them being uh, left out uh, of that. You have to remember these were the days when news traveled at the fastest at the speed of a galloping horse. That's very different from the world that we live in where news travels pretty much at the stroke of a key. Um, uh, so even receiving a letter from Paul and Silas and Timothy would be no guarantee to them that, well, maybe, maybe it's happened in the past uh, several days or something as this letter was on its way, uh, to us that, uh, Christians elsewhere have been gathered to the Lord and we haven't because there's something wrong with what, uh, they, uh, uh, were doing. Well, Paul knew, he knew they were struggling with this. He knew that their endurance of persecution, even though it was exemplary, couldn't last forever apart from assurance, really knowing that they were saved and knowing this uh, for sure. And in fact, they were beginning to experience 
problems that uh, resulted from this lack of confidence uh, in their own salvation. Some of them were starting to live unruly lives, and it was actually uh, spreading. And Paul's actually going to address that. He's going to address that problem head on, especially in uh, chapter 3. But he traces their problem to its source, and especially in this wonderful prayer. He traces it directly to the source. He knew that their problem sprang from them failing to understand God's choice of them and 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 know for sure and be confident in God's choice of them. When I say God's choice of them, it means God's love uh, for them. Those two things are associated together. So let me ask you this at the outset of this uh, of this message. What would the Lord, what do you think the Lord would say to you, the Lord Jesus, if he were to come and give you and speak to you his number one rebuke of your life, um, his top priority rebuke, what would it be? And uh, I can't tell you what it is. I can't speak for God in that way. I can only speak for God when it's written in um, uh, scripture. But I don't think that the Thessalonians were all that rare in the problems that they were encountering. And I know that the Lord brought you to this church on this day to hear this message. And so I, I wonder if what he has to you is very similar to what he would have to say to uh, the Thessalonians. You might be thinking of... Um, one or two obvious areas of your life in which the Lord should uh, rebuke you and uh, 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 help you uh, in that way. And I don't doubt uh, that those are important areas uh, to the Lord. Uh, but we often think we have the Lord all figured out and God sees not as a man uh, sees. And so I wonder if the Lord might bypass what you think is the number one thing that he would rebuke you on and say, his rebuke for you, his number one rebuke, is you think too little of my choice of you. You think too little of my choice of you. And that amounts to thinking too little of me, the Lord might say uh, to you. And so no wonder your fears and your uh, ambitions and your thoughts and your relationships are unruly. No wonder temptations come when you uh, uh, and, and you're overcome by them when you think so little of my choice of you. So Paul's uh, prayer here traces the issue back to its root, traces the issue back to its root. And it's the most important thing for the Thessalonians uh, to hear and important for you to hear this morning um, as well. So three parts to my message this morning. First, the thanksgiving for God's choice of you. That's in verse 13 to 14. Second, an exhortation for those who are chosen. That's in verse 15. And then a prayer for those who are chosen. And that's in verse 16 and 17. So first, the thanksgiving for God's choice of you. This is what Paul wrote to the Thessalonians. But we should always give thanks to God for you, brethren, beloved by the Lord, because God has chosen you from the beginning for salvation through sanctification by the spirit and faith in the truth. It was for this he called you through our gospel that you may gain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul doesn't just say that he gives thanks, that God chose them, that God chose uh, the Thessalonians. But he says, like he said um, at, the, at the beginning of this letter, we ought to. We ought to give thanks to God for his choice of you because God has chosen you. And so Paul wanted the Thessalonians to know that uh, the thanksgiving that filled the Lord's, that filled his heart um, because he knew that uh, the Thessalonians were chosen by the Lord. wasn't just uh, good intentions on his part. wasn't just because the Thessalonians had wormed their way into his heart and become one of his favorites, and so he wanted to thank the Lord. But it corresponded with reality. 
It corresponded with what was actually in God's heart. And so he doesn't just say, like he usually does, we thank God for you and especially his choice of you. But he says we ought to. We ought to. If we didn't thank God for his choice of you, we would be uh, remiss. It's as if he's saying, if you can't thank him for his choice of you because you're not bold enough to believe it right now, I can thank him and I am bold enough to believe it and you should be too. So uh, he says, we ought to give thanks to God for you because God has chosen you. But he says it in this way. You should also give thanks to God for you, brethren, beloved by the Lord, because God has chosen you. There's a connection between God choosing you and God loving you. And so when you think of the doctrine of predestination, and that's what this relates to, before time, God set his choice on those whom he would um, save. Don't think of a sterile, barren doctrine for uh, logic splitters, people who like to uh, have all their ducks uh, in a row. If you think of that doctrine in that way, you've lost your way from how it's pre- presented in Scripture. It's presented in God's choice of you in warm and personal and loving uh, tones. And so when Paul gives thanks for God's choice of uh, the Thessalonians, he does it as uh, their brother. It's part of the family of God uh, with them. And uh, he addresses them as those beloved by the Lord because of what he's thanking God for, uh, because God has uh, chosen uh, uh, them. So the Thessalonians are struggling with assurance. Paul's taking them to the rock bottom of uh, what they need to be assured of, which is God's choice of them. Uh, Paul uh, gives helps to the Thessalonians for their assurance. He gives some things to encourage them. Like he tells them, you know, you actually are enduring persecution. That's what a Christian does. That's a sign. That's an encouragement to you that you are uh, a Christian. He tells them other things to assure them of, of uh, that they are truly uh, saved. One thing is he says, hey, it's not the day of the Lord. And I can prove it to you. You haven't fallen under the Lord's wrath. It's not the time of the Lord's wrath being poured out uh, upon the earth because these are the signals which accompany that time and they are not uh, uh, happening. But Paul inevitably is going to zero in on the rock foundation of what their assurance rests upon. And that is the issue of uh, the gospel. Uh, the gospel is the good news of God's choice of you. And uh, notice that uh, uh, what Paul speaks of, of God's choice of them, uh, expands their horizon from what they were thinking of. In fact, it expands it uh, to almost uh, unimaginably to something that stretches from eternity past to eternity future. And so he says, we should give thanks to God for you, brethren beloved by the Lord, because God has chosen you from the beginning. When, when is that? That's, well, that's, that's before time. That's before time. That's when only God exists, when none of his creatures uh, existed. God has chosen you from the beginning for salvation through sanctification by the spirit and faith and the truth. It was for this he called you through our gospel that you might gain. Now, this is the future, that you might gain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so uh, Paul opens their horizon to something stretching from eternity past all the way to uh, eternity future. And that is God's choice of, uh, uh, of them. And uh, what is it that uh, presents God's choice uh, to us? 
Well, it's the gospel itself. That's, that's the point of contact of this thing that's happened in eternity past, of God uh, choosing us from eternity past. He has chosen you from the beginning for salvation, and here's how it's manifested to you, through sanctification by the Spirit and faith in the truth. Faith in the truth, and then he says, it was for this he called you, this salvation chosen for you, through our uh, gospel, through our, our, our gospel. So Paul directs their attention to how they responded to the gospel. When you believe the gospel, it puts you in contact with God's uh, choice from eternity past. It's uh, believing the truth, which happens in the in only uh, when the Spirit is uh, at work in responding to uh, the gospel. So this prayer actually draws a contrast. The uh, Thessalonians were worried about uh, being caught in the day of the Lord, like being caught in a trap and destruction coming and them not being able to uh, escape from it. And Paul has already been telling them those who are going to be caught in the trap of the Lord's wrath are those who, as he says, did not receive the love of the truth. He's speaking specifically of the gospel so as to be saved. For this reason, God will send upon them a deluding influences so that they will believe what is false in order that they may be judged who do not believe the truth, but took pleasure in wickedness. And then he draws the contrast, but we should give thanks to God for his choice of you. Why? How do I know? It's because you believe the truth. It's because when the gospel came, you uh, accepted uh, it as the word of God. So Paul presents the Thessalonians with God's choice of them. He's thankful for it. He wants them to be thankful for it. Uh, as well. Now you might say, well, how do I know that God chose me? How do I know that God chose me? That happened in eternity past. That's what he says. It's from the beginning. Uh, and I wasn't there. In fact, uh, no one was there. No one was there. So how do I know? How, how is that a comfort to me? God's choice of me so that I can be thankful for it and uh, know uh, for sure. Well, let me, let me, let me say this. The preaching of the cross is the preaching of God's choice for you. And let me say that again. The preaching of the cross, the gospel that he's talked about here as he's thanking them for God's choice. The preaching of the cross is the preaching of God's choice as you. When you find something that's a perfect fit for you, you know that it was made for you. And the gospel is a perfect fit for a sinner, for a hopeless sinner. For someone who deserves to be hanging on that cross, uh, deserving God's wrath in his place. If I have a wound and it's a bite of an animal and the bite is a fiery serpent and I look up at the pole and what do I see? But a fiery serpent. I know that that serpent has been put on the pole just for me and uh, that that it's been chosen just for uh, me. And so if you have nothing to offer the Lord but guilt and shame and then you hear the message of the cross, it's exactly the punishment that you deserve. And it's a human being hanging on that cross, uh, just like you. You can know that God has chosen you. And so God's choice comes to you. It's uh, made manifest to you in the gospel and by faith in the truth of the gospel. And so you ought to come away from the gospel, from hearing and believing the gospel and being changed by it, you have to come away from that not being impressed with how much your choices matter. 
Your choices do matter. Your choices do matter. But you ought not to be impressed by how much your choices uh, matter. You, you should say, well, I've, I've, I've seen what my choices get me. My choices get me uh, on a cross. You should, you should come away from the gospel being impressed by how much his choice matters, how much his choice matters. You should say, I've seen what my choices can do. How far they can get me, I'm done with that. I'm done with what my choices can get me. And instead, I'm going to believe his choice of me that comes to me through the gospel. So that the most important thing about you is not that you've become the kind of person who chooses God. That's true, too. You did choose God, and that's important. But that's not the most important thing about you. It's not that you've become the kind of person who chooses God. But the most important thing about you is that God has chosen you to treat you unimaginably beyond what you deserve. In fact, to treat you opposite to what you uh, deserve. If you're impressed with yourself and what you can do, you're still under the law. In fact, you've even turned the gospel into a new law, a new way of measuring how good your choices are. And if that's the case, uh, you're, you're still under law and not uh, under grace. But when, you're, when you leave all of that, when you, when you're no longer impressed with, uh, what your choices can get you, but in his choice for you, then you're under grace. And then all things are new. You're, a, a different world has come. You're a new creature, part of a new creation that's characterized by the resurrection life of Christ, a new kind of life, and it's characterized by selfless, uh, love. It's God's choice of you through the gospel, shown to you through the gospel that makes your will a slave. So that your life isn't about what you choose anymore and the things that you want to choose uh, for yourself, but your life is about what he chooses for you. And you're glad uh, to have that. And so Christ takes captives. He makes slaves through uh, the gospel. And I was, as I was thinking about this, I was reminded of a, a, a hymn that we sing. I have a lot of these hymns uh, kind of stuck in my mind, and it's a, it's a very good thing. Uh, it's because I've grown up. Uh, at Hillcrest and at Trinity. Uh, but this, this one from the hymnal, Dear Lord and Master mine, thy happy servant see, my conqueror, with what joy divine thy captive clings to thee. It's the gospel itself. It's the good news of the gospel that makes a captive of the will when we were previously captive to Satan to do his will. We could choose what we wanted to, but all of it was uh, Satan's uh, will. It's the good news of the gospel that makes a happy captive. The last verse says, My conqueror and my king, still keep me in thy train, and with thee thy glad captive bring when thou returnest to reign. And so the gospel takes us uh, captive to God's choice. God's choice is the determinative thing instead of uh, your own. The Lord Jesus said uh, to his disciples, uh, You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you would go and bear fruit and that your fruit would remain. What does he mean? You did not choose me. They did choose him. It was important that they chose him. He came to them and said, follow me. And they chose, they left their nets. Uh, they followed all. He's not negating that. They did choose him. And that's important that they did. But he's saying, this is so much more important. You, it's almost as if you didn't choose me. I chose you. That's, that's the most important choice is that I chose you. And that's the choice that's going to cause you to uh, uh, bear fruit and for your fruit to uh, remain. We love him because he first loved us. And that's the choice that's shown to us in the gospel itself. So are you thankful for God's choice of you? It was shown to you when somebody preached the gospel to you. 
and uh, you've you've come to understand his choice of you, and then that's become the determinative factor of your life is the things that he chooses uh, for you according to his word. Are you thankful for God's choice of you? Might that be the Lord's number one rebuke of you if he were to show up and put his finger on the most important thing that needs to change uh, in your life uh, that you should should be thankful, increasingly thankful for his choice of you. We'll see his choice of you at the cross of Christ, where he's chosen you, where he's done something that it's it has your name on it because it's the perfect fit for you. And let that be your assurance. And then let that uh, rule your life. Let his choice of you be the thing that takes your will captive and enslaves your will to him. So first, uh, we see Paul's thanksgiving for God's choice of the Thessalonians. This was their, this was their main problem. They got all caught up in, um, uh, thinking about end times, thought that they were in a part of the end times that they were not actually, uh, in. But this is, uh, the issue is that they took their eyes off of God's choice of them. And so Paul gives thanks, uh, for God's choice, uh, of them and says, this is what we ought to do. Uh, we have thanksgiving for God's choice of you. And then it flows right into an exhortation for those who are chosen. So then, brethren, because of God's choice of you, stand firm and hold to the traditions which you were taught, whether by word of mouth or by letter from us. The exhortation for those chosen is just one word. It's just one word. Stand. Stand. So then, brethren, stand. And that's what our generation needs. We've got so many problems compounding uh, in our time and place, and a lot of them new. Everybody says uh, that uh, we're dealing with problems that um, are, are new to us, or at least come in a new way uh, for us. There's nothing new under the sun, uh, but, but uh, many things that we haven't experienced uh, before. And what this generation needs is men, women, boys, girls who will stand against uh, the tide. Uh, and so this is what Paul exhorts them to do is to stand. It's the opposite of being shaken, being shaken. And that's uh, what he tell, tells them in verse uh, uh, two, that you not be quickly shaken from your composure or be disturbed either by a spirit or a message or a letter as if from us to the effect that the day of the Lord has come, that the day of the Lord has come and that somehow you're under his wrath. And that's something that would cause you to shake uh, Paul says, no, you need to stand. You need to have steel in your spine. And the steel in your spine comes from knowing for certain God's choice of you with his uh, unimaginable uh, grace. He's going to say more about what it means to stand when he prays for them to stand. He's going to give a little more detail. But here he just puts it in that terms to uh, stand and to stand holding to the traditions which you were taught, whether by word of mouth or by letter from us. And uh, the traditions that he's speaking of is the gospel. It's the gospel message. That's what they needed to cling to is uh, the gospel message that they were taught that teaches them they, they've been saved from the wrath to come. And so they, they were to stand holding fast to that message. He calls uh, that message a tradition because the Christian message is essentially it's, it's a derivative. It's derivative. In other words, it's not a product of your imagination. It's not a product of speculation. It's not a work in progress like uh, science is. Even, even the best science is a work in progress. 
that's not uh, the, the message that they uh, received. It's not something that gets uh, better and better. It's something that rests on the reality of Christ's death and resurrection. And so it's handed down as a tradition. It's handed down uh, from person to person. When Paul talks about uh, the gospel itself, 1 Corinthians 15 and uh, verse 3 says, I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received. I haven't changed it at all. I just, I just relate it uh, to you. That Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures and that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. And so uh, Paul uh, tells the Thessalonians, don't improvise on the gospel. You heard a message of uh, God choosing you, of God delivering you from wrath by, and sending his uh, son. Don't uh, improve on it. Uh, he says, hold fast to that what was handed to you, the tradition that was handed down to you without uh, changing it, and hold fast to what you've heard from us, whether by word of mouth or by letter. It didn't make any uh, a difference. Uh, how they heard it, whether in a letter that he wrote or whether in something that he uh, taught them. If they're holding fast to that doctrine, uh, then there's nothing that can shake them. They, they can't hear anything about end times events or, or uh, hear something and, and think that somehow they've fallen out of God's love if they're holding fast to, to uh, what was handed down to them and especially in the gospel. So thanksgiving for God's choice of you. That's the first part of Paul's prayer goes right into an exhortation for those who are chosen. It's only those who are chosen and know that they're chosen that can stand in this way and not be uh, shaken. And then what's next is a prayer for those who are chosen. Verse uh, 16. Now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, who has loved us and given us eternal comfort and good hope by grace, comfort and strengthen your hearts in every good work and uh, word. Paul has been urging his friends to action, not to not to be shaken by the things that are happening around them, but to stand. And he knows that this exhortation is uh, impossible for them. And so prayer is needed because the power of God is needed uh, for this. And so he prays uh, for God himself uh, to act and to act in their hearts. There's nothing else uh, that can can reach uh, their heart and make it strong except for God himself acting in this way. May our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, and I'll skip to what he's asking them to do, comfort and strengthen your hearts in every good work and, and word. But notice how God, the Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ himself are described when uh, they're being asked in prayer to comfort and strengthen the hearts of the Thessalonians, the Lord Jesus Christ himself and God, our father who has loved us and given us eternal comfort and good hope by grace. And the reason why God and his son are described in that way in this prayer to comfort and strengthen uh, their hearts is because this is the way in which the father strengthens our heart is by loving us by giving us eternal comfort and good hope by his grace. And if you want to get to the heart and make it strong, your own heart, and make it strong, there's no other way uh, than, than for the love of God to do it and the grace of God giving eternal comfort and good hope uh, for uh, free. This is just what the Thessalonians needed, and it's what you need uh, too. Eternal comfort. Eternal comfort. Think of that. Think of that, that you've been given that eternal comfort. In other words, 
comfort that will stand, no matter what comes, that will stand for all eternity. When ages and ages go by, you're still being comforted by the same thing. And uh, this is what God uh, gives us according to his love, is eternal comfort and good hope. And how does he give us these things? How does he comfort us eternally? And also give us good hope by grace. He gives it freely. In fact, this uh, uh, explains how he has given us eternal comfort and good hope. He's given it by grace. He's given it freely to us. That's the only way in which he gives eternal comfort and uh, good hope. He doesn't give it by earning at all. He only gives it by grace. Sometimes uh, uh, even Christians worry that if we say too much about grace in the gospel, people are going to abuse it. Christians are going to uh, abuse it. And you see why that that would be a uh, concern. And so we say, well, let's quiet down the freeness of the gospel, the things that God gives us freely by his grace and explain how it's not really free. The things that God gives us are uh, somehow dependent on the quality of what you give to God. And that way we won't have to worry about people abusing the grace of the gospel. When Paul sees the Thessalonians struggling, he turns the volume of the grace of the gospel up to help them to stand and to, to stand for their heart to be strengthened for every good work and uh, word, because he knows that only the great, only the things freely given are what makes a slave. Only the good things uh, freely given. Only grace abounds where sin once abounded and then reigns in its place as Christ conquers through his uh, gospel. And so the environment in which Christ takes the will captive is the environment in which your ear is listening to the message of the gospel. And this is the way Paul prays for it, that your hearts would be strengthened by this grace, comforted and strengthened in every good work and uh, word. This is the, the Christian life. This is what it means to stand. This is the same thing that he was exhorting them to do. And now he prays for it, that they would do it from the heart, a heart strengthened by the gospel of grace Comforted and strengthened in your heart for every good work and word. And what is that? What is that? The the work and word that he's talking about is the the life of self-giving love. That's what he said already because of God's choice, the Thessalonians are uh, destined for. He called you through his gospel that you might gain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. And what is that glory? Well, it's seen at the cross. It's the glory of giving. It's the glory of giving uh, uh, graciously beyond even uh, imagination. And that's what we're called to do. That's what we're called to do. That's what it means to stand, is to stand with your hearts strengthened for every good work and word. It's interesting that Paul doesn't define it. Uh, Have your heart strengthened so that you can do this, this, and this, and then be done. He doesn't give a checklist of things uh, for them to do. He says that your hearts will be strengthened by the gospel for every good work and word. He can't plan it out in advance. You can't say so that your heart be strengthened uh, to do such and such, and you can plan it out in advance and then go do it, and then you'll be done. No, what he's asking for is that their hearts would be strengthened to speak and act according to love, according to love. That's the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's the glory that we're called to. It's what it means uh, to stand as well, to speak and act according to the need of the moment, 
and to walk according to love. And only a heart strengthened by the free gospel of Christ is able to do that. And that's what Paul prays for. So what is your greatest spiritual need? What is your greatest spiritual need? This prayer, this important part of this epistle, gets to the heart of it and lays it bare. It's the greatest spiritual need of your heart is thanksgiving for God's choice of you. And on that basis, to stand, to stand holding fast to the gospel and then thinking, acting, uh, speaking according to the power uh, of God for every good work and word. Let's pray. Dear Father, we thank you for the amazing message, the amazing good news of your choice of us, of your choice of uh, hopeless sinners with nothing to offer you, and that your grace is lavished upon us so that we're given eternal comfort uh, freely by your grace, and that uh, our hearts are not um, made lax by this, but they're actually taken captive by this so that we define ourselves not according to all of our choices and all that our choices would get us, but that we define ourselves according to your choice and all of your choices uh, for us. We pray that in this way we might be equipped to stand and that we might be equipped uh, to act and to walk according to every good word and work according to your love. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.